This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. In Lummis Park, at 13th Street and Ocean Drive, right across from the Cardozo Hotel, there is a bust. The bust is of a young woman, about 19 years old, with a classic greenish patina now covering the bronze medal. The young woman, with styled hair and a determined stare, is looking back across Ocean Drive at the Cardozo and the other Art Deco hotels that line one of the most famous streets in the world. Beneath the bust is the name Barbara Bear Capitman. Underneath that it says 1920 to 1990. Writer, artist, preservationist. Our region is associated with important women who helped shape, develop, and form governments, parks, and other significant parts of civic life. Like Mary Brickle, Julia Tuttle, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. But one name that must be considered when thinking of these titans of the history of Miami is Barbara Bear Capitman. And that's what we're going to talk about today. This day in Miami history, April 29th, 1920, the day that Barbara Bear Capitman was born, a woman who would shape the city of Miami Beach in indescribable ways and set off a fight for historical preservation that echoes to this very moment. Barbara Capitman was not born destined to be a legend of Miami. In fact, she wasn't born in Miami at all. She was born Barbara Bear, April 29, 1920, in Chicago, Illinois. Her father was a manufacturer of children's clothing. Her mother, an industrial designer with a taste for art. The bust of Barbara on Miami Beach was actually sculpted by her mother when she was 19. In fact, Barbara didn't move to Miami until much later in her life. She spent most of her life in and around the New York area, graduating from New York University, working as a reporter for the Atlantic City Daily World, and writing advertising copy. It wasn't until she was 53 years old in 1973 when she moved to Miami with her husband, William Capitman. They settled in in South Florida, but he would be dead within two years. She was a widow and she was looking around Miami, her new adopted city, and seeing something she found amazing. I moved here in 1973 with my husband, who was a professor. We were very shocked at the way Miami was beginning to destroy its marvelous waterfront and beautiful palms and build big high-rises. And... uh, Eventually, I got together with Leonard Horowitz, 
And he said, why don't we get together a bunch of people who feel like we do and form a design organization to save what's left. What needed saving was one of the highest concentrations of Art Deco architecture in the world. The only problem was almost no one else could see that vision. South Beach at this time was dilapidated, better known as a retirement home or God's waiting room than a historical district or some sort of future for the development of Miami Beach at large. But Barbara wouldn't let it go. Her concentrated efforts would lead to the creation of an organization, the Miami Design Preservation League, or MDPL. It had a singular focus, promote and protect the Art Deco style of Miami Beach. Now, we obviously know the end of that story. Those buildings still stand on Miami Beach today. However, there is an important note that will lead us into the second half of our conversation in this month's episode. Just last night, April 28, 2023, the Florida State Senate advanced SB 1346, known as the Local Regulation of Nonconforming or Unsafe Structures Act or the Resiliency and Safe Structures Act sponsored by a Miami-Dade-based Senator, Brian Avila, of District 39. What this bill would do would take away the power of local governments in the state of Florida to use historic preservation to prevent the demolition of many different types of buildings, including some of the Art Deco hotels you're familiar with on Ocean Drive. A companion bill in the Florida House is House Bill 1317, and now it is up to the House to decide whether this bill will advance to the desk of Governor Ron DeSantis. With the anniversary of Barbara Capitman's birthday approaching, and this incredibly important piece of legislation potentially advancing through the state legislature, I thought it would be a good idea to talk to Daniel Seraldo, who is the current executive director of the Miami Design Preservation League. We spoke about Barbara we spoke about the legislation, and we spoke about the challenges of historical preservation in a community that so often ignores its important history all around it. I do want to let you know that due to an unfortunate malfunction, the normal microphone and recording apparatus I use for phone conversations wasn't quite working when I spoke to Daniel yesterday. It should still sound fine, it just is not quite as clear as it might normally be. Apologies for that. I still would encourage you to listen to the conversation because there's a lot of very important information, not only about Miami Beach's past, but about its present and potentially its future. So I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I'll be talking with you again after we wrap up. Here is Daniel Seraldo. So I'm talking today with Daniel Seraldo, who is the executive director of the Miami Design Preservation League. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's my pleasure. There, there's so much to talk about, and uh, we will dive into some of the um, modern uh, issues that the Design Preservation League is tackling in a second. But I do want to talk about um, a, a woman who I think, uh, when we look at historical preservation, um, we, we, we tend to look at the, these large movements that develop, and very rarely can you go back to like one single person who has such an enormous influence on it. Uh, but in the case of Miami, and Miami Beach in particular, there is one person, and that's Barbara Bear Capitman. Um, her 103rd birthday 
um, is uh, on the day that this episode is dropping. She was born April 29th, 1920 in Chicago, uh, but made a huge impact in Miami Beach. And I was wondering, uh, Daniel, if you could tell me and, and the audience a little bit about Miss Capitman and, and what she did to really change uh, the viewpoint of historical preservation here in Miami. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, Matthew, uh, Barbara was instrumental really in setting a vision for what Miami Beach could become. Back when she moved to uh, South Florida back in the early 1970s, her husband uh, had just passed away and um, she was really kind of looking for um, what to do next. They had worked together uh, in uh, marketing and uh, Barbara really has, uh, I would say, a marketer's mindset. And uh, when she was down in uh, Miami, South Florida, she came across the Art Deco area, and it was very much run down at the time. There was a lot going on, you know, nationally and locally, uh, where where you know the economy was not doing very well. But in spite of seeing the rundown buildings and you know a kind of an empty neighborhood, she had a vision of what it could be, and. Um, it was really through her persistence and through sharing that vision that she inspired others to uh, to latch on and, and help her make that vision a reality. One of the most interesting things about about Barbara is the fact that you, you just mentioned it a second ago, but she was not um, a dyed-in-the-wool South Floridian when this movement starts. She kind of just showed up. Um, you know, she, she moved to Miami in 73, right before the death of her husband, William. Um, and, and really three or four years, she's becoming not just a supporter of historic preservation, um, kind of one of the most forward facing supporters of historic preservation. Uh, what kind of lesson do you think other Miamians can take from Barbara Capitman? You know, we are such a transient population where so many people are coming from somewhere else. If you were to sit down all of our recent transplants and, and give them a lecture, what would kind of be the key points that you'd be hitting on? Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, so many of our residents uh, weren't born here. And in fact, it's something that we're very proud of, that we're one of the most diverse, uh, really, regions in, in Florida and, and, for that matter, uh, you know, nationwide. And I think what Barbara showed is that we all can have a positive impact on our community. It doesn't matter if you're born here or if you're fifth generation, you know, like maybe some other communities might have that, especially like up in New England. But Miami, as you mentioned, is a pretty transient place, but it's also a place where many have left their mark. And I think that um, uh, looking back at Barbara, in 1980, she shared her vision which I really think is still relevant today, and I'll just uh, paraphrase from that. She said that all the ingredients are here to create one of the most distinctive urban environments in America. The architecture, the geographic location, the people. This could be a vibrant community where all kinds of people, elderly retirees, young artists, people from the North, people from Latin America, come together to create an exciting, harmonious community. And so I think it's that vision that so many of us really believe in our hearts is, is still very much alive here. And it's something we continue to also aspire to, having a harmonious community 
anchored in the arts and culture and geography with people from all different backgrounds uh, coming together. And uh, so if anything, I think she has been a great example for that, for her generation and future generations as well. So for, uh, as you say, a number of generations in, in Miami Beach in particular, um, there has been a great awareness of, of kind of this uh, coexistence, let's say, with, with history and architecture, while at the same time kind of coming into a new era and, and looking at something new, and particularly the revival of South Beach in the 1990s is kind of the test case of this theory that historical preservation can lead you to growth, um, bearing out. Um, but over the last few years, um, particularly since COVID, there have been there has been some tension here. And um, on, on our on our show, we've talked about the, the Al Capone house, the Palm Island house, um, and how historical preservation um, came in conflict with state legislation. We also talked about the Duville um, and the, the unfortunate demolition of the Duville and its role in, in American pop culture. As someone who has this responsibility through the Preservation League, um, where have you seen the kind of winds changing what is the Preservation League doing to kind of respond to this? And we'll talk more about this specific legislation that, that's being considered in Tallahassee in a second. But what do you see as the response necessary from both your organization and the community? Yeah, those are really great questions. And I think uh, you touched upon it, the fact that we are a very dynamic and growing community. And um, we have a lot of folks coming here. Uh, who, who like the community and are attracted to it for a lot of those reasons, um, you know, for a lot of the things that we value as well. But at the same time, um, I think that we need to do a better job in educating, uh, you know, those folks that live here and those who are moving here about sort of how we got here. You know, um, uh, not everybody knows, for example, that the Art Deco buildings along Ocean Drive were very much threatened back in the 1970s with demolition. And that really through the efforts of activism and advocacy, they have been saved for future generations. So I think that part of it is that groups like ours have to do better at um, uh, to uh, stakeholders and trying to explain to them the importance of preservation. You know, sometimes I joke that in France, in Paris, you probably don't have folks saying every 30 years, oh, should we save Paris or should we make a new Paris? You know, it's just kind of by now ingrained in that culture. I think in Miami Beach, given uh, in large part that our district is the youngest uh, 20th century urban uh, historic district on the National Register, um, we still have to work on, um, you know, in a way, convincing folks that these are historic buildings. Now, yes, I hope in 200 years we'll be a little more like Paris and folks will just naturally understand why our historic heritage adds value to our quality of life. But we're still, I think, in those early phases of, um, of the historic nature of Miami Beach. And so there's, there's more room for outreach and uh, bringing people into the fold. So let's let's talk a little bit about the the specific issues at hand here that are throwing up some alarm bells among um, 
among historic preservationists. There, there are two pieces of legislation under consideration right now in Tallahassee. Uh, House Bill 1317, Senate Bill 1346. Um, both of them deal with a local regulation of non-conforming or unsafe structures. That's the name of the bill. They're, they're kind of tandem bills in the House and the Senate. And the argument seems to be that there needs to be a way to deal with buildings and the threat that climate change or rising waters or floods or natural disasters might present them. Um, I, again, I, I love my multi-part questions, so sorry if I'm, I'm, I throw too much at you, but I, I, I think there are two prongs to this that I kind of want you to, 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 to consider. Prong one is, how does an organization like yours address uh, homeowners or building owners that do want to take proactive steps to deal with what might be a threat to the building, because that does sound like something you'd be interested in. But part two, and this is where, you know, obviously the problem may arise. How is demolition not a solution to this problem? Um, how is demolition not a solution to... Like the problem of dealing with climate change or the threat of flooding. Like, obviously, I, I, I would presume your organization is not in favor of demolition to deal with these issues. W why? There, there are those who may say, just knock them down, build something new. Why is this, why is this not the approach that you think? And, and why, how do you think oh, okay. that kind of uh, preservation and preparation can coexist? Sorry if I, I okay, no. muddied the waters a bit there. No, no, no worries. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously it's a very complicated uh, question, and there's not really a simple solution. But, you know, we could talk about a few things. One is that our historic buildings are resilient. And when you think about the lives that these buildings have had over many decades and, you know, the, the, the history that, and, and frankly, the environmental energy that is embodied by these buildings, we, we like to say in preservation that the greenest building is usually the one that's already there. So when we talk about climate change, uh, we know that buildings account for a large part of emissions that help, you know, lead to climate change. We have to be thoughtful when we think about solutions to climate change. So, yes, I would say maybe on one perhaps extreme side would be let's knock everything down, let's get new concrete, new materials, and build everything brand new, and that will lead to more resilience. Um, but I think if you start to kind of analyze that approach, you might run into some issues. One is oftentimes the cost of building something brand new could be, you know, more than renovating or rehabbing uh, historic property. So that's something that, you know, one would want to look into. Another thing is that, you know, a, a brand new project, there's no real uh, certainty that it will succeed succeed excuse me and so um you know you're taking a bet to say that oh let's just start let's just rebuild miami beach from scratch let us have the latest hot developers and their star architects come and we'll just see how that goes um and you know i think that maybe other places have done that i look at sunny isles for example and they've just sort of gone down the line and they've knocked down their smaller hotels and they've built very large uh, luxury condominiums. Um, and I do think that there is pressure from some, especially the real estate development community, to say, listen, Miami Beach is in peril. 
it's time to knock everything down. We'll make all these vertical high-rise suburbs, and all of our problems will be solved, and there will be no issues about climate change. Um, but it's just not that simple. So our approach is that we believe that we want to fortify our neighborhoods, our historic districts, which really are an economic engine of the region. And we want to make the buildings stronger. We want to do what we can, obviously, to find unsafe structures. And I think you know, and your viewers know, listeners know that um, we in Miami did have very strong unsafe structure regulations. Uh, thinking about the Champlain Towers, which often is kind of erroneously mixed in with the historic building uh, questions. But Champlain was built in 1979, and it did not have a chance to reach its 40th birthday uh, because, as you know, it collapsed. Um, but for our historic Art Deco buildings, and I live and own um, a, a condo in one of them, um, these buildings are required to have their 40-year recertification, and then every 10 years, there's a requirement to do that again. In fact, after Champlain Towers, folks throughout the state of Florida looked at Miami-Dade and what our county does with keeping the historic buildings up, up to date and the recertification, that's become a model for other places. So I guess uh, to just succinctly answer your, your question, we think that you can be resilient, but in a way that honors the environment and also keeps what we can of the culture that helps define us as a community and, and brings visitors to experience what, what we're lucky to experience every day. So this bill is, is as, as I said, there's a House and a Senate version. The Senate version is being sponsored by Republican Senator Brian Avila, who's actually a senator from Miami-Dade County's District 39. Um, so the fact that this is coming from a local representative, have you had a chance to speak to Senator Avila yet about the Preservation League's concerns over the bill? Have you heard back from his office at all? In terms of, of working governmental angles, have you, have you been able to speak to state or local officials in, in how you want to proceed? That's a great question. And, um, you know, a simple answer uh, about the sponsor, no. Sponsor, Senator Brian Avila, who is in a landlocked district that includes parts of Hylia Gardens and Miami Springs, he brought forward this legislation that really targets coastal historic communities, of which his district does not fall into that category, and it attempts to preempt the historic preservation code of these certified local governments of which there are 80 in the state of Florida. Um, so the senator, I don't know whose bill, who is a proponent of this bill, who wrote the bill. I don't think the senator necessarily understands the impacts on the bill. Uh, they actually just voted on it earlier within the last hour. They voted on it at the Senate. And I heard him again repeat erroneous information in front of his colleagues in order to, uh, you know, uh, gain their support. One of the most erroneous things that he's sharing is he claims that in 2012, the Miami Beach voters voted to reduce the powers of the Historic Preservation Board. He unfortunately has his numbers in reverse. The voters actually added to the city charter that any reduction in powers of the board 
or any less stringent preservation standards must first be approved by the voters. So, you know, when you're dealing with a senator who is disconnected from the impacts of the legislation that he sponsors and who really isn't even willing to sit at the table with the key stakeholders, I think, unfortunately, that is a recipe for bad legislation with unintended consequences. And um, so we're very much concerned about the pattern of these uh, outside senators coming in proposing who, who's ever bill they're proposing and i'm sure we'll find out through you know the public records uh, soon who is actually behind this bill but at this point it's been a very opaque process and i don't think one that reflects the democracy that we all try to uphold in the state so if, if this bill were to get through the legislature and and get a gubernatorial signature um, what do you think are next steps for the Preservation League and for Miami Beach and, and for other local communities in terms of trying to maintain historically preserved sites and buildings? Yeah, I mean, look, we, are, we have to look at different options. Obviously, we do believe that this is a targeted and arbitrary law that's singling out our municipality and exempting others. So we are looking at, you know, the legal implications, you know, all laws have to be lawful. And just like you've seen with another major economic engine, which is Disney World, uh, it seems that there is a legislation right now or legislators, some fringe legislators that are very much on the attack mode on our economic engines. So whether it's Disney World or South Beach or Deco District, you know, we, we need to make sure that we protect our interests. And um, so I can't really comment on what will happen at that point, but we, we are continuing to get the word out to let other municipalities around the state know about this legislation and, um, and really try to understand what the impact may be. I will give you one example, but a lot of our municipalities receive federal grant funds for historic uh, building restoration, renovation, and those funds come with conditions on preservation of the buildings. So we are not sure if this new legislation, if it does move forward to the House and if it is not vetoed by the governor, we don't know what does that mean for the millions in grants that have been given to many of these municipalities on the basis that they would, will meet minimum historic preservation standards. So, I mean, it's very hard to quantify the impact on that, and we're still kind of trying to understand that ourselves. It just kind of goes to show why decisions should be made locally by communities that are impacted by those decisions, and uh, this is very unprecedented to have a senator without really much historic districts at all, uh, you know, being the one moving this forward. So I, I will leave you with this question and, and kind of circle back to where we started. Barbara Bear Capitman started this movement really as an individual with some um, historic preservationists in the community. And we're really up against a lot of legislative pressure at the local level um, and suffered some significant losses. You know, the Senator Hotel, the New Yorker Hotel, 
they're torn down before the Preservation League can really build the momentum necessary to preserve what's left. As you're looking at this, if, if Barbara were still around, um, what do you think would be her next steps? What would she be doing today and tomorrow and this month and next month uh, about this? Well, Barbara was really good at uh, communicating and reaching out to stakeholders on all sides. And I think that she would probably be doing something similar to what I'm doing now with you, speaking with the press, uh, getting the word out, trying to correct uh, kind of inaccuracies that continue to be echoed about the viability of our historic buildings and, uh, and maybe even, you know, getting out the chains and getting ready to step in front of the bulldozers, which, uh, frankly, if this does go forward as proposed now, all of the buildings along Ocean Drive, our iconic postcard, could potentially be uh, targets for the bulldozers. So uh, I think, you know, she'd be sharpening her pen and uh, sharpening the, the arrows, the figurative arrows of, uh, of advocacy um, to, to try to stop you know, but she, she probably, though, would also be saying, again, we have to do this again. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's really even for me as I'll, I'll be 40 in a few months. And so even before I was born, Barbara and the members of this league and others have put the district on the National Register. And to think that some senator, you know, not even in our, our district, would be trying to just erase that history, I think is particularly painful for so many that really spend their life's work to, uh, to do the good work of, uh, of historic preservation. Daniel Seraldo, the executive director of the Miami Design Preservation League, thank you so much for your time and your advocacy for historical preservation in, in Miami-Dade County and all Miami Beach. Uh, we really do appreciate speaking to us today, and, and I do wish you the very best of luck going forward. Yes, thanks again, Matthew. Great to be with you. As I said, I really do want to thank Daniel Seraldo um, for the time he took out of his day, the middle of the day on Friday, uh, to talk to me for about 20 minutes um, about this really important issue and also about a really important figure in our history. And, and I do think it is really important to remember that while there our challenges with historic preservation. The era we live in now, in 2023, there is so much more awareness about the value, not only the economic value, but the cultural and spiritual value of historical preservation and what it has meant for Miami. Uh, that I'm not discouraged. Uh, I'm encouraged. And I think that Miami Beach and other parts of this community will figure out ways to ensure that we maintain the Art Deco District, and other important parts of our history for generations to come. If you want your voice heard on this bill, I encourage you to speak to your House member. That is where the bill is at right now, as of 6 a.m. on April 29th, 2023. Uh, the state legislative session will be wrapping up uh, in just a few days, and so a little bit of pressure right now could be a good thing. So whatever your opinion may be on the bill, I encourage you to be a good citizen and reach out to your House member. I'll be putting a link in the description of the show so you can find out who your state house member is and how to contact them, whether it's by email or phone. And I can tell you, either way, it really does matter when you contact your representative and let them know your opinion on things. So please make sure you do that. And please make sure you visit the Miami Design Preservation League at mdpl.org 
and, and Miami Design Preservation League on social media. There's so much good information there, and they host so many great events, including the World Congress on Art Deco and Art Deco Weekend, the Art Deco Museum they have on the beach. Um, so, so much good stuff that they do for our community. Um, you really should make sure you enjoy it. Um, please make sure you follow uh, This Day in Miami History on social media and visit our website too, thisdaymiamipod.org and at thisdaymiamipod on pretty much every preferred social media platform. And if you haven't already done so, please do think about following our podcast on your preferred podcast provider. And if you really, really like it, uh, a five-star review would be fantastic. So again, thank you to Daniel Seraldo. Thank you to the Miami Design Preservation League. And thank you so much to the listener for checking out this episode. And until next time, I've been Matthew Bunch. The high times, the low times, all in the nightlife. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.